Amen. You can be seated. Kids, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow Stephen Sheena out the back. Don't be confused and follow, follow Carl. He does not know where he's going. And he wouldn't know what to do with you. Okay, as those guys are heading out, if you have your Bibles with you, um, would you turn to the book of Acts beginning in about, oh, in chapter 2, and we're just going to um, thumb through the book for a little bit, and then we're going to uh, get to some points here. Um, but here's what I wanted you to see this morning. If you look in Acts chapter 2, this is Pentecost, this is when the Holy Spirit comes, and you remember they're all gathered there together, and... People are hearing languages, uh, hearing uh, the, in their own language, people praising God. And then uh, that happens in chapter 2. It, it, chapter 2 ends in, uh, with uh, talking about the fellowship of believers that basically here for the first time we had uh, the Holy Spirit inhabiting or indwelling people. Um, and then we have some of Peter's early actions in chapter 3, Ananias and Sapphira uh, in chapter 5, and then chapter 6, there's the choosing of the seven. And then Stephen in chapter 7 gives a speech to the Sanhedrin, and um, it doesn't go well. Um, I, that, yeah, I don't, I, it's a little funny maybe, but I, I, I didn't mean it all that funny because it ends up with his stoning. Right, Stephen proclaims to the... Now, these are the same men who had, had Jesus crucified, right? And they stoned Stephen for proclaiming, continue to proclaim his name. Something happened that day that would change the church forever. Um, in chapter 8, it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all uh, the apostles, and all except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So what happens at that time, the church only exists in this very in the first about seven books of the, the Bible, only in Jerusalem. The church isn't any larger than that. It's just in that one city. But then after the stoning of Stephen, um, the, the political figures there in Jerusalem are again outraged that this name of Jesus, you know, he just, you know, literally won't die, and nor will his name die, nor will the testimony about him die. Uh, it just keeps coming, and so uh, they pour out on this fellowship of believers, of followers of Jesus Christ, and the church from that day on, it will never be the same, but we, we see it scattering here. Interesting things happen. Uh, chapter 8, verse 9, Saul's conversion. Chapter 10, uh, Peter, uh, in, in chapter 10, uh, Peter leads the first Gentile to, to come to Christ. And so we just see this ever-increasing sphere of the gospel being spread. And basically you see the people who would spread the gospel from uh, Judea and Samaria, basically that little church and those little clan, that little family of apostles begin expanding. And as they move out, the gospel just keeps getting bigger and spreading. And it, it spreads into every culture, into every language, and into every, uh, every little tribe that's there that, that the gospel spread. It takes hold and it takes effect and people's lives are changed by it. Amen? Until, of course, we get to it 2,000 years later when it's virtually in every corner of the earth that the gospel is spread. And it's taken hold regardless of culture or language or prosperity or depravity or whatever. It just continues to spread. And in verse thir chapter 13, the church sends down its very first missionaries. Isn't that incredible? Just in, in those few chapters, the church goes from being one tiny 
little gathering of church, and of course it wasn't that tiny. Sent out with a few hundred, ended up with a few thousand. But uh, that little tiny church and that little group of apostles, eleven apostles that remained, would grow to a worldwide uh, faith today. But here's what here's the, the the things that I want you to ponder about a little bit this morning. Um, what was it that the church did in those times? that this little tiny and really insignificant group of people um, um, went, on to, went on to spread? What, what is it that caused that little young church to have such an impact on the community and their nation, on, on surrounding nations, and really throughout the Roman Empire, now really through the rest of the world? But what was it? You know, the church really, it should have died, right? Its founder was taken away. And it was persecuted by the greatest political uh, or, or the religious rulers in the city of that time. The church should have died out. It should have been the end of it all. What is it? What were they doing together? What, what were they talking about? What were their priorities? What were they doing together that the, that the church continued to grow and continued to spread? And I think, in part, this is something I, I hinted about a little bit last week. In Acts chapter 2, back at the very beginning, verse 42 it says, it tells us, it gives us a little peek behind the curtains of what they were doing. This is just incredible stuff that the Lord's preserved this for us, amen, uh, that we have it here in the scriptures. But this tells us about what their priorities were, what they were doing, what they, what they thought was important. In, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And um, we would do so well to... Uh, to continue what they did and to do what they thought was important. But we're going to talk about that here a little bit more in just a little bit. But I want you to remember that. And I want you to remember, too, I, I do want to encourage you as strongly as I can to be in your scriptures this year. Um, we're going to start next month. And the, the month of February has 28 days. And conveniently, there are 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. I'd encourage you every day to pick up. If, and, you know, if you're already doing something, read this too. It won't take another five minutes. If you're not reading something, if you don't have a devotional, you're not in your scriptures every day, pick up in, in, uh, on February 1st and, and begin. And, and uh, we'll take a little bit of time away from Sunday morning and just talk about what we read during that week. So uh, February 1st, Matthew chapter 1. All right, everybody with me? All right. But devotion to the, the apostles' teaching means that what the first thing is that they were devoted to the teachings about Jesus. The apostles were, 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 were not at this time quite writing, but they were teaching and telling the church about all that Jesus did and all that he said, and that's primary the teaching that they were devoted to. They were not only devoted to that, they were also devoted to fellowship and to breaking of bread together and to prayer. We're going to talk about all that stuff here in just a little bit later. But there's another little church that gets planted in another Another little place, and we're gonna. I want you to read with me about that. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is going on uh, missionary journeys. Paul, you know, Saul and Barnabas are sent out as the first missionaries of the church. Paul, in the in the book of Acts, takes four missionary journeys, uh, and in one of them, he goes to a church, a, a city called Thessalonica. And uh, let me tell you how well things go there in Thessalonica. Uh, If you'll read with me Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 5, we're going to read verses 5 through 11. Listen to how well Paul's missionary journey goes in Thessalonica. But the Jews were jealous. So Paul's going and he's teaching about Jesus Christ in verses 1 through 5, and he's telling them about him. But some of the Jews uh, persuaded, um, 
were persu- some of the Jews were persuaded in verse 4, and a lot of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women, but a lot of the other people were against them because, in verse 5, but the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. That's kind of a funny saying, isn't it? Some bad characters from the marketplace. If you want to find bad characters in that day, apparently you run to the marketplace. That's where they hang out. But anyway, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas. They were staying at Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out, of the cr- out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city officials shouting, These men who have caused all the trouble all over the world, listen to what they're saying. These men have caused trouble, uh, uproar all over the world. Everywhere that the gospel was preached, there was uproar because there were people who were being changed. There were people who were changed, turning from their pagan idol worship or ch- turning from what had been uh, historical Judaism and they were coming to Jesus Christ and it was causing quite an uproar. But listen, this is their own, the, their own testimony against them, which is a, just an incredibly uh, good blessing for us here today, isn't it? These men who have caused trouble over all the world have now come here. And Jason of all people, has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into a turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go, right? So Jason was being threatened to be uh, imprisoned, but he posted bond and he was able to be let go. And Jason got in trouble just because he was housing them, right? So they're trying to get a point across. These people don't belong in this city and anyone who allows them in their house will be imprisoned. Very, uh, things didn't go well in Thessalonica, right? Paul, oftentimes when he went, there were some type places that he'd go and he'd spend years grooming and teaching and, 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 and teaching their leadership about the church, about what to do and how to do it and how to teach and how to pastor and how to lead and how to, how to prophesy and all of those things. Paul would spend, sometimes he'd spend two or three years <clears throat> with a church. But in Thessal- Thessalonica, things didn't go so well. Uh, the guy that he even stayed with was persecuted and had to post bail just to get out of prison. Anyway, verse 10, read along with me. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Cyrus away to Berea. On arriving there, they went, on, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures, sorry, examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul had said was true. All right. Now, here we go. So in Thessalonica, Paul goes on his great missionary journey, and he goes there, and immediately, or there soon thereafter, we don't know how many days or whatever it is, but things didn't go well there, and one night, Paul and Silas had to be smuggled out of the city, right, because of the uproar there. But listen, here's the amazing thing. The gospel reached some people in the town of Thessalonica, and even though the gospel should have been squashed out of existence in Jerusalem, And even though the gospel should have been squashed out of existence in Thessalonica, it lived on. So much so that later, in later years, Paul would write them a couple of letters, and we know them as first and second. You guys are so smart, it's unbelievable, really. So, um, but look what happened in 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 Thessalonica. Would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1? If you're not very familiar with your New Testament, God conveniently put all the T-books together. So you'll find the Thessalonians with the Timothys and with Titus. Isn't that convenient? Thank you, Lord, for making some part of this book easy. Yes? All right. 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Paul is, begins his, uh, many of his books, although not all, with thanksgiving for their, for their faith, thanksgiving for their belief. 
and uh, thanksgiving for their work when he remembers them. Not all of them, but this one he does, the, the church in Thessalonica. Listen to what he says now has happened in, in Thessalonica. He says this, You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. Okay, so the suffering didn't get even any easier, but the church continued. The gospel marched on even in Thessalonica when, uh, when, whenever the city leaders were trying to, and Jews were trying to stamp it out. You welcomed the message of joy given by the Holy Spirit, and so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, for your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. All right, there's some incredible things here spoken about the church in Thessalonica. Uh, not uh, the least of which is that they had become, become imitators of, of Paul, of their leaders, of, of the Apostle Paul, and of the Lord. They become imitators of the Lord. What an incredible compliment the Apostle Paul paid them for their faith and their obedience in the Lord. He's, and he said, you became a model to all the churches in the area of Macedonia and, and Achaia. And listen to what he says in verse 8. I love the language. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. In spite of persecution, despite the fact that the church should have been stamped out there, it continued and it grew. And it was not only grew, it was so successful that people about it everywhere talked about the faith of the church, of the people in Thessalonica. It's an incredible thing. But it's the power of the gospel, amen? I preached a series of sermons about that not very long ago. It is the power of the gospel. It has the, the ability to change not only lives from people being complete, um, uh, you know, retrobates, right? And all of us have been changed by the gospel, amen? All of you who are believers have been changed by the gospel. Uh, and it's changed all of us, but it has the, not only the power to influence that, it has the power to influence communities and nations uh, and on and on, and, and just really quickly, I'm not going to take very much time about this. You and I have, even in our country, even if you're not a believer here, you have a Christian mindset. And let me tell you what I mean. In our country, after World War I and after World War II, one of the things that our country did is we went back into those, those nations that we conquered and we helped to, what, rebuild them. Who does that? Before, prior to the history of the United States, any nation who had come in to destroy another nation left it absolutely desolate so it wouldn't be under threat again, right? But because you and I and because of the people who came before us in the, this last century have a mindset of, that is shaped by Christianity and we see value in people, right? And listen, not every place teaches, not every ethnic group believes in value of, of people even when they're not like you. But because of Christianity, you have become, in your mind, you automatically assume, like I assume, that people have value even when they were our enemies. When we destroyed their leadership, we want the people to prosper because... They matter. That is a Christian value, and it is not shared in most of the rest of the world. Are you aware of this? Yeah, it, it, it is very, very uncommon. It's, 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 it's very uh, unlike the rest of the history of the world. This is a very new idea, and it was brought about by Jesus Christ and what he taught uh, and that we should do to other people as we would have them do to us. True. This teaching came through Jesus Christ, and it was new to the world. 
uh, because of his teaching. And it shaped the way that you think and I think and all of the Western, uh, Western thought, basically. But uh, anyway, having said all of that, Christianity has the power, God, the gospel has the power to change lives. And it's changed mine, amen? And it's changed yours, amen? And it's changed our society and it's changed our community. But I want to ask you this morning, how is it that a little church in Jerusalem wasn't stamped out? How is it that a little church in Thessalonica survived great persecution? How is it that that little church of young believers who didn't have very much time with the Apostle Paul, they didn't have time for training, they didn't have time for their leadership to be brought up, how is it they survived? What were they doing that they made it, that they survived and, and actually came to the point that despite the per persecution, the message of the gospel and their faith rang out from their church? How is it? I want to offer you up a couple of ideas here in, from the Thessalonians, some things that they did there that's listed that we read. First thing is they turned from their idols. They turned from their idols. You know, and um, boy, I don't have a lot of time to talk about idols. You've heard me talk about idols quite a bit. Um, pick up anything by, um, help me, help me. Jamie, you're reading. Uh, Tim Keller, pick up any book by Tim Keller. It will talk to you about idols in ways you've never thought about idols. It'll be really good for your spiritual walk. I'm, you're not writing this down. Timothy Keller, I'm not kidding. Timothy Keller, you need to read some of his books. Brilliant stuff. Um, talks about idols. The, you know the reason that the Old Testament is full of idols and the Israelites were all full of idols is because people have a problem with idols. And I'm talking modern day you and me. And I'm not talking about back in our childhood before we came to Christ. I'm talking you and I struggle with idols today, right now, this week. We struggle with idols. Yes. Anything that we set apart as, as significant, important, and uh, was it uh, uh, that to which your heart clings is an idol to you. I can't remember who said that, but it's a brilliant quote. On, I'll find it later and fix that. But anyway, well, that to which your heart clings is your idol. Those things that make you feel significant in, in a place that it's not, should not be significant, it's when we take those things that are important and good and we put them in the highest place. And let me tell you, folks, we do this all the time, right? When we, when we get married, we say, you know, we're going gonna, gonna to get married and, and I will forever love and worship you and, and, and you and you will forever love and worship me. And then you find out pretty soon, what, that your mate's really not worth worshiping. True? Yes, that's because your mate was not intended to be worshipped. And as hard as this may be for you to accept, you too were not meant to be worshipped, right? True? I know, it's disappointing, isn't it? But yes, it's true. And anything that we do that sets ourselves, <laughs> that set ourselves or something else that's good and we put it in that ultimate place, it takes the place of God. And the Bible has a word from that. It's an idol. All right? But here, they've put aside their idols because they want something else and they want something more important and more significant in their lives. And they set aside Christ as their Lord. And he is the one that they worship. And they've tossed down, thrown down all the other idols. All right, the second thing is, is that they served God. Paul talks about how they've served God together. They've, they've worked, they've labored, not just, not just to earn money. They've served, they've given their time and their talents and their, their spiritual gift to serve God and to serve the church and to serve the needy and the poor among them. They served God together. The next thing is, of course, is that they wait for Christ's return. Ah, boy, I love this. You know, to wait and hope. You know, the, 
the, the gospel talks a lot, and, and Paul writes a lot in, in, in his letters about the, the glory to which we're waiting. We're waiting for something glorious. We're waiting for something we can't even fathom, we can't even imagine, and we're waiting for it. But the thing that I want you to see in all of these things is that all of these things, is, they're just saturated with Christ. They're saturated with a gospel, and all of these things that the church was doing was absolutely saturated with Christ. It was saturated with the idea, and they, they served Him, and they, they, they wanted to put Him primary in their lives, and they waited for Him, and everything was about Jesus Christ. Amen? How is it the little churches, little young churches survive? How is it the little, little young churches thrive and change their communities? They are saturated in their language, in their reading, in their friendships and their fellowship with each other. When they break bread together, when they eat together in each other's homes, it's all saturated with the gospel. It's saturated with Jesus Christ. When they speak to each other, they talk to each other about Jesus Christ. When they, when they come together in fellowship, it leads to worship together. When they worship Jesus Christ, and it's all centered around him. The church in the United States has gotten used to a really bad duality where we have a lot of things that the world's pursuing and a lot of things that we in the church ought to, ought to be pursuing and we think we can do and have both. Jesus had a little something to say about all that, didn't he? He said, you can't serve two masters. It's either all about me or it's not. The, the believers in Jerusalem devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Their lives were saturated with the gospel. I want to encourage you to do something this week. Um, it happens, and I don't know why, in our society, there's a lot of things that, that, uh, we're not, that are not politically correct to talk about. And um, this was not politically correct to talk about before the term political correctness came about, so I don't know where it started. But um, it became politically incorrect to say the word Jesus if you weren't cursing, right, uh, in our society some time ago, right? If you were to mention something about what Jesus had been doing in your life, right, your coworkers and people around you would be looking around you like, oh, one of those, right? True. Let me encourage you, though. And so let me, let me tell you the effect on the church, though. The effect on the church is that we became less and less talking and less and less saturated in our language and our conversations with each other became less and less to do about Jesus Christ. Listen, a church who's about something else doesn't exist. It doesn't live. doesn't prosper. It doesn't live on. You and I have to be saturated with Jesus Christ. It has to be the centerpiece of our lives. It has to be the center of our focus, the center of our fellowship. When we come together, it, you know, it, it ought to just spontaneously burst out in worship every time that we come together. It just ought to happen that way because he's so great and he's done such incredible things for us, amen, that at any time we, any of us could stand up and give a testimony and say, let me tell you what I've realized, what the Lord's done for me this week. Let me tell you what he's done in my life this week or what I've come to realize that he's done, you know, 2,000 years ago that I'm just now getting, right? There's a lot of that with me in particular. I'm a little slower than most of you, though. Uh, but, but there's a, you know, when we come together to be able to speak and, and, and to be able to talk about what he's done in our lives and listen, and to pray together, Right, Not just corporately when I stand here and pray, but when you know someone has a need and you just stop and you say, let me pray 
with you and you ask the Lord Jesus to be big and great in, in their lives and, uh, and ask, ask for that. But I, I just want to encourage you to do one thing this week, just very, very simply this. I want you just a couple of times a day, whenever you're talking to someone about a struggle or whenever you're talking to someone about what's going on with your finances or your kids or your marriage, all those come up all the time, right? All those, com- all those topics come up all the time to be able to think and to speak what the Lord has done or shown you in that area of your life, just to salt your language with what Jesus Christ has done in your life, right? Now, I know that seems really artificial. I'm just asking you to just start inputting that in your life. But you know what? You realize how very far we've gotten and how very inappropriate it's become in your mind to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and how very wrong that is. Am I right? We're to be saturated with him. We're to be saturated with him. If this little young church is to change this community, you and I, these people gathered here in the sanctuary right now, have to be saturated with Jesus Christ. He has to be a part of everything that we're doing. Amen? Amen. All right. You know, um, uh, there's going to be a little football played today. And uh, I don't know. I, I like to see the uh, I like to see the pro- the prognosticators and the guys who do all the football analysis and uh, you know Tony, Tony Dungy, even uh, Terry Bradshaw. Any great does does a great job. All those guys talking about the games coming up and they talk a lot of times about the unity of the team or where the team's headed and they talk about where a team's going. But let me tell you, a team didn't just make that decision uh, by the team. The decision. <coughs> for the team to go anywhere was made by each and every individual player, right? If each and every individual player doesn't make the decision about how they're going to train, about how they're going to focus, about how far they want to go in the playoffs, then the team doesn't make it to the playoffs, correct? In the church, when every single member doesn't commit to live devoted to reading, to being in the scriptures, devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, the body at large can't go anywhere. This is an individual decision that we get to enjoy corporately. Do you know what I'm saying? It is up to each of you and all of us to decide this year we're going to be devoted to the same things and to share that unity of direction and purpose and to be saturated with the gospel is a decision you're going to have to make for yourself. No one's going to make it for you. No one's going to, no one's going to you know, poke you in the side until you do it. It's just something you're going to have to decide for yourself. Is this the direction for my life or is it not? I, I pray it's the direction of your life. I pray it's the direction of our church body. Amen. Amen. We need to be dismissed. Would you stand with me? We'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, Lord, just as we did pray, we do pray that you would be the center of our lives. We pray, Lord God, that you would be honored and pleased with us, Lord God, as we as we live out our lives in the best way we know how, just to, to speak about you openly, about all your goodness and your mercy that you've shown us, Lord God, that we'd be in conversation with each other in, in our friendships, Lord God, that we would uh, take time to pray for each other, and Lord, that, that, that we're just when we're fellowshipping to, together, we'd just break out into spontaneous worship uh, about all your goodness and all your grace toward us, Lord God, because uh, it's just overwhelming. It's overwhelming to ponder. We can't even grasp it all. Uh, it's like just being caught up in the ocean and trying to fill every little molecule of water. We just can't take it all in. 
So, Father, uh, your greatness, your, your majesty, your glory, the things that you've done for us, Lord God, let them be on our lips. Let them be in, the, in our stories about what you've done in our families, in our lives, in our finances, in our marriages, Lord God. Let them be just salted and peppered into our conversation with each other and, and let prayers of, of your saints here at Calvary just overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving and prayers and petition for each other. We ask this in the name of the great one, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 Y'all have a great week.